Hi there and good day. Welcome to North Bay's Heritage Diary. Listen up and we shall weave for you tales of days and times gone by, which can inform today and show the way to tomorrow. This Municipal Heritage Committee podcast looks at our town, our people, and our stories. This time, we open our diary of voices from the past for a conversation with the late ship's captain, Mac Mason, who handled craft on Lake Nipissing for many years. He was born in 1922, and this was recorded at his home in Calendar in 1995 when he was 73. He talks about his family history, lumbering, the John B. Fraser, shipping on Lake Nipissing, and related topics. Please excuse any outdated references. Captain Mac Mason. We're talking to uh, Captain Michael Mac Mason in uh, Calendar. First of all, uh, Mac, I guess you get called that all the time. Where does Mac come from? I said Michael and Mason. Where do you get Mac? Named, according to my mother, was supposed to be Maxim, M-A-X-I-M. And somehow or other on a birth certificate that went on as Michael. But because it was, she thought it was Maxim, my nickname was Mac, and it stuck. That's interesting. Back in 1922 when you were born, I guess uh, things weren't as, as tight now in records. Oh, no, that's right. The, uh, the records weren't kept as, uh, as precise as they are today, of course. You know. Was your family from this area originally? Oh, my family comes from uh, Gig, Quebec, uh, Ville Marie area. So my father was born in uh, Three Rivers. My mother came from down in that part. Then they moved up here. My grandfather moved up here. You know what year we're talking about? No, I guess it'd be about the mid 1800s. I would imagine. Did you did the family settle in around the calendar area, or no? Just my dad. My dad and the family came down. I'm the only one that, <clears throat> that was born in Ontario. All the rest of the family, and we were ten, was born at uh, Gig, Quebec. Did he have any particular reason for coming down to this area? Well, see, he was a logger himself, eh? He was a jobber in the bush in the wintertime, cutting pulp for, for the pulp and paper outfit in Smith-Quebec. And then uh, things went, I don't know, wrong or whatever. And then he just he got a job down here, so he came down here. By down here, you mean the calendar? The calendar, yeah. And that would be roughly when? Uh, 1922. I was conceived in, in Quebec and, and, and born in Ontario. And I was born in September. Came down here in March. And your dad was in the lumbering business, so um, did he remain in that when, when you came down here? Oh, yeah. He started to work for J.B. Smith and Sons and retired from there. We stopped him from working. In those days, there was no yeah. severance pay or anything like that. Eh? Mm. But uh, his legs were, and he handed it all down to, he handed the bad legs down, too, because we, we all ended up with, you know, I can't hardly move around. Arthritic legs? Yeah, arthritic. Did you, did you grow up um, Within sight of water, I mean, within sight of Lake Nipissing. Oh, I was uh, I was born over here where the where the mill was. We lived in tenement houses till I was twelve years old before we moved here. The old homestead is the second house over there. Where was the mill? The mill was behind us here. 
You're on you're on Main Street North in Calendar right now. That's where you live. Was there a creek or anything going into the lake at that point, or was it just? No, no, no. It was just a lake shore, just a shore. No, no rivers close to it, because everything was brought from Sturgeon Falls. Eh? All the logs were brought down from Sturgeon Falls for all the mills, of which there was five of them here in this bay at one time. Do you do you remember them? Were they active when well, you were a young man? I remember them all except for uh, the J.R. Booz. Of course, they called it a mill, and in reality, it really, really wasn't a mill. It was just a jack ladder. J.R. Booz cut logs up the Sturgeon River, drove them down to Lake Nipissing, towed them across the lake, loaded them on railroad cars, and you know the road to Astorville? Mm-hmm. Well, that used to be a railroad bed. That's why it's called Booth Road. And he railroaded them out there, dumped them in, dumped them in Lake Nonsensing, towed them down to Bondfield, and dumped them in the creek down there, into the Ottawa, Ottawa. A log that was cut up here. You said uh, jack ladder? Yeah. That means it, it didn't, they didn't refine the lumber at all? They would tow the logs, the logs down, and of course they would... Uh, they had storing grounds, but the, the jack ladder run all the time, they, well, right up to freeze up, of course. And the, the logs would go up this chain, and then be rolled onto railroad cars until each car was full. They used to haul three or four cars, and they just had a little wee steam engine, eh? And uh, they, the logs were just loaded here. And that continued on their way to uh, Ottawa by drive and towing, etc. You know. Did you were you ever a lumberjack? Ever work in the woods, uh, lumbering at all? I never went to the bush camps. I'm the only one of the family that did. But uh, I worked around mills from when I was 12 years old. Was it a short step to becoming involved with shipping on the lake? Well. It wasn't very short for me, from 12 to, to I started full-time on the lake in 1947. And then I served my time on the Seagull under Captain Darling. But my mentor was uh, the first mate, and uh, that took me eight years. And then I wrote my exams for my master's ticket. And at the same time as I wrote my master's, tug master's ticket, I was given a first mate passenger vessel ticket because the O&R was having trouble getting a first mate here every spring. Mm-hmm. And the, the Captain Morrison, who was the examiner, was sort of fed up with uh, uh, supplying them with uh, people. So he said to me, if you give me another $15, I'll give you a first mate's ticket because your exam warrants it. And, and he said, then you, when you go home, I want you to apply for that job so they can get <laughs> off my back. <laughs> so as it did, as it happened, I, I didn't apply for it because he must inform the O&R because I was working in service. See, every winter, when you're working, it's seasonally. Mm-hmm. So every winter you had to find something else to do. Right. So that particular winter, I was working at a service station that you probably remember, the corner of Fisher and Bain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
that Bill Rowe, Captain Rowe, came to me. He said, I hear you got your ticket. I said, yeah. Well, I said, I, I've got it. So he said, how would you like to come on with me this in the spring? Well, I said, well, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I, I'll see what's going to happen there at Swiss. Because the captain there was getting on the verge of retiring. And uh, so then when spring came, I was informed that they weren't going to be doing any towing, this work. So then I went on the O&R, the old chief, as first mate for Bill Rowe. Was there any particular reason why you, why you went from, from be, being involved with, with the milling process into, into to work on the boats? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you see, again, us kids, you know, uh, when I was an early teenager, my oldest brother always had a, a gas boat. And uh, me and a couple of chums in the summer holidays, we'd go around the shores and pick up logs, company logs, and sell them back to the to the company. Well, you, ne you never yeah, took them yeah. out of a boom, though. No, not us. They gave us twenty-five cents a log for every log we brought in, which was a lot of money in those days. You know, and uh, it just went from there. It just evolved. You know? When you were young. There must have been a fair number of boats on, on Nepis. I had no idea oh, yeah. the number of boats there, there were that, that were plying Lake Nipissing. Well, this one time, like, you know, uh, with different boats, but at the one time, there'd be 28 steam vessels on Lake Nipissing of various lengths and sizes, you know. What would most of them what, what would most of them be doing? And, and and again, tie it down for a time period that you're talking mostly, about. Mostly uh, mostly in the logging area and transporting, you know, freight and uh, bringing the loggers into the camps and uh, and, uh, and towing logs. That's that's primarily what they were all for. Were you are you talking the twenties? Yes, we're talking uh, uh, the twenties and early thirties, mid thirties. Because things started to break up uh, in the 20s. Say. But prior to that, now we're talking, they say between 1900, somewhere around there, you know, uh, when there was a lot of steam vessels. But then the mills started to disappear, you know. So like booze, for example, was gone out of here, I think, in 1906, if I. So uh, then there was a Canadian timber company. They went out of here. Their mill uh, burnt in 1933, I think it was. And the Payette Lumber Company, which is down at the far end of the bay, uh, theirs burnt down in 1935. There's somewhere around there. And uh, of course, booze was gone by this time. McBurney's mill. They just went out of business, but it would be prior to the 30s. And uh, Darling's Mill, uh, it was uh, it was done by the by the wartime, by the First World War. Why the decline? Why did these companies all fade away? Was there some economic change, or did they move a system of logging differently? The little fella couldn't compete against the big guys, so they sort of just petered out. And the last, the last one to last was uh, J.B. Smith and Son. They were here till 1968. That was the end of the era. You mentioned fire. So many.
many of the books mentioned in in this history uh, either burnt in the off season, burnt at dock, uh, and then John B. Fraser, of course, burned right on the lake. She was on her way. She was on her way to Frank Bay with a big scow load of horses and hay and supplies and a few passengers as well as the crew, loggers, like, you know, when she took fire. The idea seems to be now that, that at, at had the, the crew been a bit more experienced that everybody might have gotten off without any yeah, deaths. Uh, that's true. In a situation like that, it's not that the weather was against them because it was fairly calm that morning. It wasn't the captain, apparently. It was the wheelsman that gave a stop bell, and then they started to get off of the boat. They had apparently had a, a lifeboat off on the side, and then the, he gives the, the engineer a backup, two bells to back up, and the boat went to bed, and it went underneath the paddle wheel. So, of course, they into the lake. And when you're talking in November, you're not in there very long, you know. So, uh, and then, of course, then the scow came along and hit the back of the boat uh, it, with its momentum, you know. And then, of course, the hay started on, the, on fire on the scow, and the horses were on there. And the horses panicked, and uh, so it was quite a quite a disaster. It's just a bad sequence of events, wasn't it? That's Things that's sort right. of one after yeah. the other. Yeah, it, it wouldn't you wouldn't be all day uh, for these things to happen. Oh. You're talking a matter of minutes, yeah. eh? And then it was quite a little while before anybody was able to come to the rescue. Uh, Mr. Green, Mr. Wellington Green, was a who was a captain on the lake. He had a big sailboat. He was on Frank's Bay when they saw the smoke. And he started, and like he didn't have much wind, it was fairly calm, so it took him a long time to get there, you know. But he picked up the, the fuel. The rest all died. Eh? You mentioned Paddle Wheeler, and, and you, you served as skipper of the, of the Alligator. A side-wheeler tugboat, a warping tug? Tell me what a warping yeah, tug uh, is. A steam-driven alligator is a, is a side-wheeler, right? A side-wheeler, there's, there's a wheel, a, a paddle wheel on each side. It's not like a Mississippi... No, no, it's, it's not a stern wheeler. Not a stern wheeler, okay. And, and the one that you served on was, was, the, was the woodchuck. And, and maybe you can describe exactly how the mechanism worked. Um, and, and what that craft was suited to do. Yeah. For the, the, the tugboats that were going to get the logs to bring them to Calendar could only get in within about a half a mile at the mouth of the river. So this, this alligator had to warp the, the tow log out to the tug. He'd go out first, put it in, put it in gear for the paddle wheels to work, Run out, he had 4,000 feet of cable, run out to where he thought was far enough and then drop his anchor, then take it out of the winch, uh, or put the winch in neutral, put the paddle wheels in gear, and then paddle his wheel, paddle his way back to the tow, 
and then he'd hooked uh, a stern cable on to the tow, and then take the paddle wheels out of gear, put the winch in gear, and start to warp. And it'd warp, uh, oh, about half a mile an hour, is as fast as it could tow the log. And he'd have to do that twice to get to where the boat was anchored that was going to take the tow from him to bring down the lake. Now, how would the logs be all together? How could he, uh, was there some sort of um, an enclosure that the logs were in? Okay. You've got a little diagram here. Actually, it's a little model with a, with a small craft and, uh, and a lot of logs. And they've got um, logs chained around the outside edge of that called the storm boom. That was to, to catch in case you broke a, a, a pocket. This, these were called pocket timbers, eh? And if one of those broke, well, then you always had this big one. These boom timbers here averaged around 16, 18 inches in diameter and 40 feet long. And they were the, they made a pocket, right? Uh, and they were chained together too in a circle. And we have three circles in one of these large. Uh, on, on a total tow, yeah. Right. And that represented about 10,000 logs or a million feet of lumber. Now they would be used time and time again then. Oh, the, yeah. the outside the and. The outside one would just. When we let the tow, put the tow way down here, we would bring this back up with us. And uh, at a towing season, at the last was uh, eight toes, or representing about uh, 10 million feet is what they used to cut. When was the last tow on Lake Nipissing? Can you remember? 1961 was the last year we towed. Did, when, when that happened, what, how did you feel about it? Did, did, oh, I felt pretty bad about it, because <laughs> that was... Uh, that was my life. That's what uh, yeah. I enjoyed doing that. You know, I'm happy doing that. Now you mentioned the the Siskin is another one of the craft. In fact, the Siskin, I guess, is the, is the last boat you captained. Yeah, the, the Siskin, uh, when the old woodchuck like it, it deteriorated, it had been rehauled several times, but it deteriorated. The machinery was getting pretty well dilapidated. So they bought a new steel tug from the same company that built these, Western Peachy. Then they started to make steel ones. They also built the the Mel Thompson, the icebreaker. Uh, and so, and you served on the Mel Thompson as captain as well. Now, an, an icebreaker on on Lake Nipissing. Tell me the story of that. Yeah, well, uh, the fall that they uh, worked the mine at, uh, on the island, Bocage Mine. Okay. Yeah. Well, then the O&R was, uh, did all the cadging from North Bay Dock to the mine, timbers and fuel, etc., etc., with the barge. And we made some trips with the chief. And the Elise had a regular run of taking a crew uh, in, out, in in the morning, back out, and taking, picking it up again at night, and another crew go back in. Uh, once they got operating. But then, of course, the time came that the ice took uh, took uh, hold, eh? And uh, 
Thompson. They had this Del Thompson on order, but it was late coming. So the the chief engineer off the uh, uh, commander and I came down and we took her off to transport here and put her in the water and brought her to North Bay in a snowstorm and we had to break ice getting out of the bay into the lake and we found no compass on it nothing, nothing's ready yet you know and it's snowed and blown like hell so we just snuck our way up the shore and got to North Bay so the next morning that I had to take the, the uh, men over to the mine. And when I came back, I was to escort the, uh, the barge, the O&R barge, and the elitists, the calendar, so they could be pulled out and stored away for the winter. And uh, by this time, the ice, the lake is frozen right over. And we just got nicely underway, and I didn't want to get too far ahead of them, but I wasn't breaking a pass quite wide enough for the barge, and uh, the ice started to cut in on their sides. But the elitists, whenever uh, I broke off a field of ice, and then the ice started to come together, that just cut the sides right out of the, out of the Alita Sitchi site. And uh, Captain Lorne wrote, uh, he was on there with the captain, uh, or who became a captain later, uh, Lord Stakis. Uh, they were on the Alitas. And uh, I had, of course, then I turned around and went back to get them, and by the time I got back, she was sinking down. Just about half the half of her up out of the water, so they got on with me, and we got a rope on her, and we were going to tow her back into shallow water. As soon as I started, and of course I gave uh, I gave the the axe to Lordy Row, and I said, "Look, if this thing starts to pull us down with it, you cut that rope." So of course, when I started ahead, actually the water rushed to the stern, eh? and it, so Lorne cut the rope, so she she sank there in about 12 feet of water. And they raised her in, in the following February. We marked, just put a buoy there, and uh, they raised her up the following February, dragged her across the ice to shore, and brought her down to our shop, refitted her all, sent her up to Busadi. She finished her days up there. That's a great story. This edition of our Heritage Diary, Voices from the Past, was originally recorded in 1995 with ship's captain Mac Mason, who spent many years sailing Lake Nipissing aboard various commercial craft. Thank you for spending some time with us and listening to our stories. These productions are put together by the North Bay Municipal Heritage Committee not only to retell old tales, but hopefully to kindle interest in area history. Local lore is important to any community, and we shouldn't let it go unremarked and unremembered. Views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Corporation of the City of North Bay or its employees. Join us next time when we flip another page of the diary of our shared past. <laughs>
you can reach us at peter.carello at cityofnorthbay.ca. Production, Casey Montalban and Peter Carello. Pete Handley speaking.